Hello everyone and welcome to this episode in the mini-series of Getting to Better Together. This is a mini-series, a podcast which is sponsored by the Centre for International Development, Social Entrepreneurship and Leadership of the University of the Sunshine Coast. Before I go any further, I need to and want to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land, the Gabi Gabi people, and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. So the theme of our, our mini-series is the notion of getting to better together. The idea that we as citizens should be much more responsive to the demands that are being placed upon us by the changes in the world about us. So the getting to better is a development notion and together is a participative notion. A key question that we need to ask ourselves right at the beginning when we're considering matters of getting to better is obviously what constitutes better. Crudely we can distinguish facts, uh, numbers, uh, for instance uh, our income on a national scale, gross domestic product, in terms of climate change, the notion of keeping the temperature down, all of those are figures, all of those are based on, on data and facts. But it's quite obvious that when we talk about things like getting to better, that key to it is the notion of judgment. And the question then arises about who decides what constitutes better and what criteria are used in making those decisions. Today, it is my great pleasure to introduce someone with whom I've been working for more than four decades and who is also a close friend of mine. Roger Packham is an associate professor at Western Sydney University and has a, a very strong interest in the notion of values and in particular values education. So welcome Roger. Thank you. Let me start our conversation with a quotation from something that you yourself have written and ask you to comment upon it. We can say that whether we know it or not we're always using an ethical system to make judgments. Can you expand on, on what it is you mean by that? Yes, I'm happy to. Ethics uh, is made up of uh, all sorts of things, ethics themselves, values, morals. They're all sort of intertwined here and need separating out. But basically, that's how we value things. So all the time, we're making judgments. Judgments are based on our values, and values are based on ethics. So we use an ethical system all the time. One of the issues for me is that very often we don't think about that. We just, uh, it's an automatic thing for us. So rarely do we question whether a thing is right or wrong or whether it is good or bad. Is that the point you're making? Do we do that? That's it. That's it. Uh, we have facts, but facts on their own don't really tell us anything. It's only when we start valuing them that uh, they become useful to us. So we, we make judgments on them. We make choices. We use our human rationality, speech and the particular things that humans have to interact with their environment to make judgments and to say, this is what I want to do or that's what I want to do. This is right. This is wrong. And we need to uh, really, if we want to live the life that we want to live, 
we need to reflect more on that and make decisions based on some form of rationality. The words like um, ethics and morals are often used interchangeably. Uh, What do you understand as the distinction between the two? Well, morals is really uh, very contextual. It's how we come to live in a society uh, in a harmonious way, in a family, in a a sporting group, in a workplace. Uh, There are certain conventions there, and if we cross them, people don't like us. Uh, or we annoy people. So the morals are the rules, the norms, the standards that we live by. Now, ethics is more, it's a principle on which we try and judge those morals to be good or bad, whether we want to go along with them, whether we want to try and change them, whether we want to move from them. So ethics is more the principles, morals is more the action in everyday work and play and family life. So when we talk about a moral code or a moral imperative, how does that translate? Well, let's go back to the original question of ethical systems. The sort of ethical systems people often use are rules that they've been handed down from their family growing up and they try and fit in. And very often that's what we can interpret it as, as moral rules. Um, the Ten Commandments, the things like that. Thou shalt not kill, thou, uh, you know, you'll tell the truth. Those sorts of things. And they're very useful and, and operative ways to live. But unfortunately, you can't have rules to guide everything. Ethics is a bit like, uh, like learning a language. A kid learns a language by the age of three. They don't learn rules that they follow they learn a practice of language. It's the same with morals and ethics, uh, how we judge the value of things. You cannot devise rules for everything. So you have to have some principles you're following, and I believe some principles are better than others. Which itself is a value judgment. Which is a value judgment. (laughs) And we make value, as you said, all the time we make these values, And I think what we need to do is to be more aware of the fact that we are using values, to reflect on the values we're using, and to particularly critically reflect on them. Is that what we want? Is this moving me to the sort of life I want to lead? And I think that's another thing that lies behind it, we're all seeking happiness, well-being, something like that that we're moving to, whether we're aware of it or not. And the more we become aware of our goal of life, the better we can adjust our judgments to achieve that. I agree with that logic, but there are others who don't. I had a conversation recently with someone uh, when I was talking about worldviews, of which, of course, ethics is a major part in terms of human values. And she was saying, well... First of all, it's very difficult to know them. Um, You don't sort of sit down and tick them off. And secondly, even if you know them, it's extraordinarily difficult to change them. Well, I'm talking about ethics within worldviews. I guess ethics is something we learn. Uh, It forms our character. And our character is made up of virtue traits, how we behave in the world. Uh, And that's a learned behaviour. It starts off 
from us babies, we, we're really trying to get our needs met. As we get older, we react to a punishment. We don't want to, we don't want to be punished. Um, so we do things and we test uh, boundaries, but we don't want to be punished. Then as we grow up, we start reasoning and rationalising and thinking about what it is, uh, this is right, this is wrong, and we make those choices. And eventually all these things become internalised. So to begin with, we're reacting to the external world and external motivations. But as we grow and mature, and hopefully by the time we reach, uh, you know, uh, 18, 19, 20, through there, we're making these uh, rational decisions in a very mature way, in a considered way. That would be nice if that were true, but it, it isn't, is it? I mean, we have so, so much non-ethical behaviour in the world by all sorts of people, you know, whether it's an everyday citizen doing things that would be regarded as immoral right through politicians and, and leaders of countries behaving in ways which are far from ethically defensible. Yes, we are fallible human beings. So how do we correct that? It's up to the individual. Well, there's two answers I'd like to give there, two answers. It's up to the individual and it's up to the government. Ethics is very closely associated with political philosophy. Uh, and and how we want our community to be governed and to run. Unfortunately, we've forgotten a lot of that. And one of the prime roles of government is to create a harmonious ethical society. So we pass laws that people uh, shouldn't get drunk in public or they should wear seatbelts so they're not killed. We're trying to protect people and have uh, a better society from the viewpoint of the common good. Now, I think a lot of our politics, uh, that's ideal again, it's moved away from that, but the best politicians, that's what they're striving for. You mentioned uh, good. As far as I understand, there are all sorts of different interpretations of good. We can look at people and we can look at them in a sort of envious way, uh, what a good footballer is, what a good uh, businessman that person is, uh, what a good looking person that is. So we have that sort of enviable, but then we also had the admirable. So I admire Martin Luther King and the way he tried to correct racial inequality. We admire the Marbo decision that, that gave Aborigines some rights again. We admire Martin Luther King, uh, Gandhi, uh, all sorts of people we could name. So it's a mixture. Good is a mixture of balancing those. It's uh, enviable and uh, admirable qualities in people. And we want our lives to somehow get close to them. That's what I believe we're trying to do. We want other people to be a little envious of us, to be admiring of us, and we ourselves want to be able to admire our own lives and say, that was a good life I led. Um, I achieved something. I did something. Why else are we here? Yes. <laughs> what if the objective of our envy and our admiration can be considered by some to be non-enviable. Um, I think of um, a certain president, ex-president of the United States, for instance. A whole lot of people who, by, uh, 
envy and admire what he stood for. In fact, many millions. Others would say that was neither enviable nor admirable. So how do I decide that that's good? In my view, I would say, is it virtuous? Um, We all have a sense of what is virtuous and not. Now, I think a lot of the problem with what you're talking about is that people are doing it for a whole variety of reasons. So he was admired because he was going to give jobs back to unemployed people in Flint and uh, other depressed uh, car manufacturing areas around around Michigan. Uh, He was going to bring Apple manufacturing back to America out of China so there'd be more jobs for people. They were the sorts of things they were thinking of, so they were admiring him because it would improve their lives. Now, unfortunately, I think a lot of those people weren't critically evaluating what he was saying and what is possible. And that's one of the issues in our society, that our education system has to improve young people's ability to think critically, to be more aware of what is virtuous and what isn't and how to live a good life and what they want their lives to be to achieve so that they uh, for their own well-being if you like for their own happiness let me further pursue this notion of being virtuous what does uh, what does that mean to you to me it's um, people of good character I think if you ask people, who's a person of good character, everybody could name somebody. And if you push that down and say, well, what is it about them that makes them a good character? And it's virtuous behaviour. They behave in ways that we think are good, are correct. And these are often innate things that we have within us. We have an innate sense of values, I believe, and that those values we use to make these judgments and the education system could promote those much more than it does. Our focus at the moment is all on uh, academic stuff, but I think we need much more focus on bringing out uh, values in education because that helps people academically. And I cite the here the, the example of James Roos High School, which is probably the top school in New South Wales that has all sorts of um, marvellous things happen. With, and the kids there, yes, they're from a selective background, but they do far better than other selective schools. I listened to some of the kids and what struck me was the sense of community, the sense of values, the sense of sharing, the sense of um, being part of something bigger, aiming for goals in life. It was all of those values were encompassed and that helped them achieve academically. And I think if we go to other schools, even poorer schools in western suburbs, some of them are outstanding And when you look at what's that school doing that other schools don't do, it's usually a head uh, or some teachers in there who are bringing more than just the academic. They're bringing values through their actions, through modelling, through their interaction with the children, by valuing the children and so on. 
That's what our society needs much more of. Uh, we, we've moved to far too much of an individualistic society and lost the sense that we need much more community in our society. I'm thinking here too of uh, uh, a politics, of people who achieve more in politics. If we look at the rise of uh, independence, as, um, and I'm thinking of um, Kathy McGowan, she got a community behind her. And she was replaced by another independent in the seat of Indi. And again, it was a community push that achieved what we want to do. And it's going to achieve what we talked about earlier, where politics is helping to create a better society, not just helping one section of society or another or the politicians themselves. Roger, that's that's really helpful in terms of the notion of clarifying the idea of virtues and character as a way of expressing what we think is good and the good life and so on. So would that constitute a particular school or field or set of principles of ethics? And is that distinguishable from others? Uh, if we look at the principal um, ethical systems used in our society today, Probably, um, we talked early on about the, the Ten Commandments, the rules, the, and so on. That's one thing that keeps people going. The other more common one is called emotivism, where it, it's really, if I feel this is right, then it is right, and that's what everybody else should do. The problem with that, of course, is that our feelings depend on the context, and, and often we don't have the whole story, and we're mistaken. Uh, so I prefer more principle-based uh, systems, and there's three of those. Um, one is the commonly, what used to be called utilitarianism, now more uh, consequentialism. Dates back to um, a whole heap of, of philosophers, but it's what our politicians tend to use, and it's based on the greatest good or the greatest pleasure for the greatest number of people. Now, while that sounds really good, what it ignores is uh, minority groups uh, and uh, fairness and so on. Uh, I'm sure that we wouldn't have got through the uh, Marriage Equality Act if we were only going for the greatest good for the greatest number. We wouldn't have got rid of slavery in days past, uh, I don't think. Uh, the uh, second system that also came up uh, during the Enlightenment period, a fellow called Immanuel Kant, was duty ethics. It's, it's got a fancy name, deontology, uh, but de duty ethics is a good way of describing it, where we have obligations to our family, our friends, our businesses, and we should meet those obligations. Uh, and, of course, we have to balance various different obligations. And Kant believed that that was based on one's will. Both of those are looking at the individual act and whether what one should do in a particular act. A third system is called virtue ethics, and it's more concerned with the actor rather than the act itself. Uh, it dates way back, like many of these things do, to the early Greeks, particularly to Aristotle, uh, but it was revived in the uh, in the Middle Ages with St Thomas Aquinas, who, who merged it with Christian ethics. Uh, and then in the 20th century, it saw a revival, particularly through the work of Alistair MacIntyre. And it's, it's a system that is saying it's your habit. You need to act virtually. 
virtuously. You need to develop practical wisdom to make appropriate judgments and it's a whole way of life. It's not just a concern with individual acts, it's concerned with how you're living all the time. And of course that is linked to uh, what Aristotle called your telos, your, your goal in life. So what is your goal? What are you trying to achieve? And many of us don't think of this uh, until uh, uh, it's too late and you're in your old dotage. But um, hopefully we can encourage people to think about what is a good life for you? How are you going to get there? And then when all these other um, impediments come in, we have habits of character that enable us to make right decisions to move towards that goal, that well-being, uh, that happiness that we all want to achieve. Roger, thank you so much for this. This has been really fascinating. I would like at some stage uh, in the not-too-distant future to invite you back to talk about the notion of how you educate in the context of these values and what you've done personally. Uh, so I look forward enormously to that, and I hope you'll come back at some stage. I'd love to. Thank you. I look forward to it. Thanks for having me, Richard. And thanks to you all for listening to this episode. And I hope you're looking forward to continuation of this conversation, not just about values, but about getting to better together as it ex expresses issues to do with values and human judgment. So from now, thank you very much for listening and goodbye.